Hey, I'm Roberta Blevins, and this is Life After MLM, a podcast where we work to end the stigma of failure in an industry designed for you to fail. The product is just uh, a substitute for money. That's right. It's inconsequential. It's, like it's overpriced. Like in Las Vegas, where they it's you give e- them money, they give you chips. Yeah, it's and easy to bet- find a, yeah. a comparable product on a grocery store shelf most times. Yes. Yeah, there's nothing new about these products. There's nothing unique. None of them are FDA approved. All these so-called health products. All of them will have a disclaimer saying this product cannot be said to cure, prevent, or treat any illness, right? So these same things can be found in a health food store, grocery store, gas stations, shelf, whatever. You know, they're all Walmart, Target. You could walk right in and find most of these on a shelf that you could purchase and take home that day and not have to pay for shipping and wait two weeks to get it or deal with ridiculousness if there's a hole in those leggings you take it right back to walmart and say there's a hole and they go okay grab your size and i'll exchange it there's no arduous back and forth with an email and a phone call and a form to fill out it's complicated for a reason that's right because it's the nature of a flim flam and there's a rule of thumb you know in the world of scam and flim flam Uh, if you don't understand it you're probably in a a skim a scam you're probably in a flim flam well, then, uh, but why, why don't you understand it? Because it doesn't make sense. That's right. And to, and to it. claim that you don't understand it, even, especially when you're deep into it and you're like, well, I never understood it from day. That's, you would never admit that, that you just don't right. know what's going on. You just pretend and smile and ah, fake it till you make it. Right. Right. So that, so, you know, these elements, as we say, fit together. Now you put them all together, these four, these four elements, the anatomy, so to speak, you know, the endless, the endless chain, the, the pay to play, the recruiting mandate and the money transfer. Well, as I showed in the book there, if you were described talking like this and going through this, this little analysis, this dissection uh, with with somebody who had originally asked the question, explained to me the difference between MLM and a pyramid scheme, then you would conclude, okay, those four elements are the defining characteristics of a pyramid scheme. They are the universal defining. You have to have an endless chain. You have to pay. If you don't pay, it's not. It's just an innocent little parlor game. And um, <clears throat> and then you know you have to recruit. That's your job in a pyramid scheme. You have to go find the new victims. That's you. That's how you make money. And then the money has to transfer and it has to transfer in an extreme way. It can't just be a little trickle. It has to be a big transfer up. That's what the big incentive, that's how you get to tell people that there's big money here if you're up in this position. So they all fit together. You recruit to get to the top where all the money goes, you pay. Now that's, again, you don't realize this, but it's your money and the the recruits money that is being transferred around. So there's no external market. You are the customer, you are the payor, you're the one that's providing the cash that will then be moved around inside this closed market. And that's why we've called it a closed market or a rigged that's market. A, that 
think that creates the supply and the demand for usually products that are stupid and and have no outside demand at all. My favorite example is um, It Works Powdered Celery. Because why do you need to pay $50 for a tub of dehydrated powdered celery? Celery costs 99 cents at the grocery store fresh. You can use the celery, put it in water and grow your own celery from your celery nub infinitely. So why do we need to spend $50 plus tax and shipping and all of this hoopla around it for powdered celery? And I'm sure the second this powdered celery came out, it was completely sold out for their, from their reps. Um, and it's like, oh my God, see, we were right. Powdered celery sold out in 24 hours. And it's like, it like, do people, I, I'm like, do you not understand? Do you not see this? Celery is a dollar. Why are you paying five times more to add a scoop into your smoothie? Just put a stalk of celery in your smoothie and save 50 bucks. Mm-hmm. But the powdered celery <clears throat> has been blessed with a, a kind of magic spell has been placed over this, you know, abracadabra over this. And that spell associates the powdered, ridiculous powdered celery with unlimited income, the dream world, the fulfilling all your dreams, the becoming a winner in life. And I don't demean those things because they are our hopes, all of us. We all want community self-respect, prosperity. We want good right. things for our family. It's like and those they, rhetorical questions. Who doesn't they, want more income? Who doesn't want to be right. loved by people? Who doesn't want yeah. the very basic human needs met? So if you had never see, heard any of that and somebody gave you this thing called powdered celery, you'd probably say, I don't think so. You know, first of all, it doesn't taste good. I eat celery. I don't see why I would need to eat, you know, powdered celery and and so on. But put into the context of the magic act called multi-level marketing, described as a business, greatest business on earth, most unlimited opportunity, blessed by the Federal Trade Commission, endorsed by the Better Business Bureau, and so on. You walk into- And promoted by the Chamber of Commerce. So you walk into this dream world that doesn't ever quite make sense, but it has all this authority around it. And you suspend, you suspend judgment. And part of the way you suspend judgment is you now think this is a great product. It's even a great price. And I need it. And the world needs it. And there's demand. Until you get out. And that's the funny thing. When the, when the spell breaks, for one reason or another, whatever, however it happens, you can either figure it out or you just ran out of money or whatever happens, the spell gets broken. And I have talked to so many people who had talked about these products, these MLM products as the just, you know, the greatest. End all to be all. Oh, and it it prevent cancer and, you know, all this. And then I talked to them later. They're not in the MLM anymore. And I'll say, well, but you are still taking the product, I guess, right? You're still buying that product. I mean, you you told me how one, no, you know, I actually, I'm not, I'm not buying it now. Um, well, why not? You know, it's pretty expensive. And um, I, I guess I, you know, I really didn't feel that much better uh, from taking it. And in fact, I had a little rash one time after, you know, stuff like this. So you say, you realize, okay, I got it. The spell is broken. Reality is seeped in. 
suddenly it's too expensive. Really too expensive to prevent cancer? Yeah, because the spell is broken. They don't believe right. that. Right. It's too expensive to prevent cancer because it doesn't. No, because they realize that now, you know, they're not, they're not swallowing that story. Right. And that's something like I talk about that a lot is that stigma, right? When you leave multi-level marketing, there's the stigma of failure. We just literally broke it down. 99.7% of people don't even make enough money to pay their bills, um, but continue to pay into these scams, living off credit cards and living off, you know, the $4 they make on that lipstick they sold to just get to the next paycheck, you know, they say J-O-B is just over broke or whatever ridiculous. But for me, like, I feel like in multi-level marketing, it was just, it's, it's the endless chain, like sell something, you have to constantly be replacing it and buying it. And you're constantly in these things and you're borrowing in, even in your own internal borrowing money from Peter to pay Paul real quick, because as soon as I sell this, I'll be able to pay that credit card off. And then I'll have the extra money when I sell all of these things, because that's what they said is that this is going to sell out. So I'm going to buy a hundred of them. And, and it, it's, a, it's, it's this big farce. And, and so a lot of people, Those I think. Are all, all elements of, of the flim flam. Once right. you're in, you find all that. And, but uh, to go back, I wanted to ask, you know, go back one, one other point. We started with this discussion about MLM is not a business. Right. And, but it's, I think that's very important to, to explain as well. Yes. But one reason so many people succumb to the flim flam is that it is presented as a business and all the language to describe it is business language. And we've used it ourselves here to, to talk about it because it's the language that people know. So we'll talk about products as inventory, and we'll talk about money transfer as commissions. And we'll talk about money that was gained through deception as earnings, right? So um, if you strip away that language, if you could take away that language, then people could see it much, much more clearly. But in that language, with that language, it becomes very hard to to understand what actually is occur, occurring here. So something I said that the anti-MLM movement I think is evolving is that people eventually are going to adopt new language. Instead of saying business, they're gonna say racket. Right. We know there are rackets, so a racket is not a business. Instead of commissions, they may say money transfer. Instead of sales, they may say uh, recruiting only, or they may say <clears throat> like retail is wholesale, really. Yeah, and they'll and they'll stop using such words as we because retail is an absurd idea in multi-level marketing that nobody's really there is no retail market for it. So um, I think that when the language of scam is adopted, the real language of scam, and there is a language scam. We have it. We know about it. We, we call the people that run scams, scam artists. We don't call them executive vice presidents. We call right. them scam artists, right? right? <laughs> Nobody calls Bernie Madoff a hedge fund manager anymore because it wasn't a hedge fund that he was running. It was a Ponzi scheme. Bernie right. Madoff. Yeah. Nobody thinks Bernie Madoff's a great businessman now. Not anymore. But the day before it, he was re exposed everybody thought he did and if you had said that he wasn't you would have been thought to be insane or uh 
somehow extremely negative in your view for some ulterior reason, you know, that you have would be about you. So I think I see more people beginning to do this where there, where these languages and these terms are going to be abandoned, the disguised language, the false language is going to be put aside. And as more people adopt the new language, the real language that more accurately describes what actually is occurring here, the reality of it will be easier for more people to see. And they don't have to cut through all this. And they will also be able to see that, oh my God, this is a very sophisticated flim-flam and that's really all it is. And it follows all the rules that all flim-flams do. The fake language, uh, the enticements, uh, the, the elusive promises and so on are all part of it. Uh, the Nigerian scam where they tell you there's this huge pot of money sitting in Nigeria waiting to be sent to somebody. It has to be transferred, but they need a bank account to put it in temporarily. And they'll give you <laughs> right. this much money. And you say, well, okay, I'll try that. Sounds real. And then the, what's the next step? Well, that you have to pay something to get the money. So you pay that money. And then the next step, you have to pay a little more. Oh, there's some taxes that had to be paid and there's some bribery money that had to be paid to get it out. So we all understand that. And we call it the Nigerian scam. It's not really, it's actually, it used to be called Spanish prisoner, but it's, it's, it's just today lately, it's called Nigerian scam, but uh, it's a classic scam. <clears throat> if people start using the language of classic scam, to describe multi-level marketing. Yeah. And, you know, they'll get it. Absolute, absolute scam. Uh, it just, I, I'm not sure. I mean, I do know why. Um, <laughs> I know why, and you know why. Um, but let's talk about that. Like the difference between multi-level marketing and a pyramid scheme, there's like really just one difference. I mean, aside from these ridiculous business terms and like recruiting level ranks that you have to continuously qualify and, and promote and keep to even have. Um, and this product that's inconsequential, that is just a replacement for money. You know, what's the real reason that these multi-level marketing companies are exempt as a scam when they're very clearly a scam? Well, politics, you know, we're politics, power politics. That's all. This is nothing unique to multi-level marketing. It's it's just that multi-level marketing's life as, as, as uh, an enterprise depends on not being shut down. In other words, the police must be prevented from enforcing the law. Otherwise, there will be no multi-level marketing. And historically, which I recounted in the book, um, from about the late 60s up until the mid to late 70s, the government did try to shut it all down on the premise that it is a disguised pyramid scheme, nothing more. It's a disguised pyramid scheme. It's, it's called direct selling and all this. It's got these various products. But at the end of the day, it's really nothing more than you pay you recruit, you get the money of the person you recruit, they go out in order to get their money back, they've got to recruit, it's an endless chain, endless chains were thought to be 
and this is so important a word, inherently unfair and deceptive. That is, you don't have to add anything to it by what it is. It is a fraud. And an endless chain is inherently deceptive and inherently harmful because last ones in always lose. So it's going to harm and it only can operate through deception. That was the position of the government up until about 1980. And, and then historically, and I won't try to recount all of this here, but um, it really became a function of politics. Okay, yeah, something can be inherently illegal and inherently unfair or inherently doesn't really matter unless the law is enforced. First, the law has to be interpreted and then enforced. So courts and, uh, you know, uh, regulatory bodies play a crucial role here. If you could prevent them from enforcing the law, if you could get them to interpret the law in such a way that you're not included, well, you've won the game. You can run whatever you want because, and all over the world, you see instances of that, of, of terrible things occurring that nobody prosecutes. So that's what's going on here. That's all. And if and the book attempts to try and document that over, you know, uh, uh, from 19, mid-1970s up until today of how that has been uh, carried out on a vast scale with millions and millions and millions of dollars poured in to make it work, to keep the government at bay and uh, to keep uh, universities from studying it, uh, to keep, and for many years, I, I think they've kind of given up on this to some extent, at least in the U.S., prosecuting or suing anybody who criticized them, which they routinely did before. And they still do somewhat now, but um, so there was an enormous campaign to prevent law enforcement, to shut down whistleblowers, uh, to discredit critics. But first, they had to keep the government at bay, the government being the, the law, the enforcement of the law. And that's how, that's all it is. You know, when people say, well, how could it be? How could, well, you know, uh, welcome to the real world. That's what a lot of people don't want to get. Welcome to the real world. Yeah. Oh, one of my followers had the question that says, why is it so hard to legislate them out of existence and set down minimum rules? And it goes right back in there. Like it isn't, but the people in charge of the legislation and the people in charge of setting the rules are getting campaign donations and soft money donations and gifts from the DSA, which is the governmental lobby that not only protects MLMs, but, but legislates and fights for them to main, remain legal. And again, that's literally the only difference between a pyramid scheme and multi-level marketing is multi-level marketing has a lobby behind them that keeps them legal. That's right. And, and we should put legal even in quotes, you know, uh, there's right. I, I think, uh, legal, person, wink, wink. Yeah. As one person said, uh, something could be legal and unlawful, right? It could be legal and unlawful. Unlawful meaning that fraud anywhere in the world, deception or gaining money through deception, purely gaining and promising something that you can't deliver, doesn't exist to deliver, unlimited income, for example, um, is not legal, 
it's not lawful anywhere on earth, but it is legal in most places on earth. So um, it, it, for me, the question of legality, I, because I saw how this thing was working, that the government was systematically subverted from enforcing the law. And many of the people in these agencies were actually handpicked through campaign influence to be in these agencies. And many of them, after they leave the FTC, would go right to work for an Herbalife or an Herbalife. That was some of the ones where I was like, what? But I'm reading in your book because it's like, oh, so-and-so left left the FTC. And then Amway was like, come work for us in our compliance department. Yeah. It's like, so they have the experts now able to skirt around these rules and then lobby their buddies that are still in the FTC to be like, hey, can we make this loophole a little easier to get around? I mean, and, it's and also so insidious. They sell their influence. In other words, you, you work for the FDA or the FTC or whatever agency for a time. And then you go to work for a company that would have been regulated by them. And so that company then promotes you as on our uh, ethics board here or our com- compliance board is a former regulator with the, with the state of Kentucky, or as you saw, the, some of the former um, attor- assistant attorney generals or attorney generals in certain states become um, promoters of these various ML- MLM schemes. So they sold their office, you might say, the, the, the credibility of their office, they sold it and made money, made money off it. And that's, that is a hard part. And the people who talk with me about the book, uh, this is often said, they've said this to me and I feel, you know, not good about it, but I don't know how to dress this up at all. It it was hard for me too. This is harsh reality, but it is simply the the experience of this is how our government works. Uh, Power politics is a reality. That's how it all works. Not idealism and civic duty you know, not what's right always or what is true. It's, and I should add one other element to this. And this I think is more, maybe more relevant than just the corruptibility of people in government. If you are in government and they are human beings just like you and me, and um, okay, you're a regulator. And I have seen this too. And you see this pyramid scheme where there's thousands of people and they're excited, they're ecstatic, they're standing on their chairs, they're lauding the leader up there. He's the greatest thing he's going to deliver us. And we have this magnificent product, cures COVID-19 and so on. And then this regulator comes in and says, no, it's actually a pyramid scheme. It's actually a fraud. You've all been duped. We're going to prosecute it. We want to shut down. The people in the audience will turn on that regulator like he is the devil incarnate. How dare you do this? How dare you expose our scam and make us vulnerable to prosecution? But but they don't say that. What they say, this is government intrusion, government overreach. This is private business. And so, but in fact, they, they are not happy. They are extremely unhappy. They have their money invested. They have their hopes invested. Many of them, if many have been through it and lost, they're living in silent shame. So they're not clamoring for the government to do it anyway. Then they just have tried to put it behind them. If you've never been in it and the government shuts it down, well, so what? I wasn't in it. Maybe those people that were in it were dupes and fools and greedy. So 
they don't come thanking the government for doing this. So it's a thankless role. You can get a lot of hate and rancor and directed at you for enforcing the law. And if you don't, kind of nothing happens. Even better, the people that you don't enforce the law on come and give you money, jobs. Right. <laughs> speaking, speaking we'll remember this. <laughs> consultancies, titles. So you can see how, wow, human beings would be kind of inclined to look the other way or justify it in some sort of weird way. Like, well, they are helping some people. So yes. it's not completely unethical of me to but do this. The, the biggest argument that I heard when I was talking to regulators, I sort of stopped talking to them a while back, but they used to say, if it's as bad as you say, why aren't there more complaints? And I would say, well, you understand that an element of this whole scheme is the introduction of shame. Yes, the silence. And, re and retribution, too. If you blow the whistle, they will sue you, or they used to. Um, and, and they try to bring the power of scorn, a scarlet letter, kind of, that you're a loser and you're a disgruntled critic. And so people... They, they bear their loss in silence. That's why, okay, well, that's interesting. But nevertheless, if we don't get a lot of complaints, we're probably not going to do much. Well, what about your duty as a regulator? Are you, are you telling me that law requires people coming and demanding that you enforce the law? I thought that was your wow. job. Right. So, but I could see that what they were trying to say to me is, the victims aren't speaking up enough politically to give us cover because we're going to cause a shit storm when we do this. And they've got people in high places behind them. They're going to come after us. We need some cover. And the complainers are our cover. They're the public. Well, I think that's beginning to change now, as you saw with LuLaRoe. LuLaRoe could not say. We didn't have any complaints. <laughs> I, you know, we tried so many ways to get some sort of movement uh, with law enforcement and the government. And, you know, I always tell people like, sure, reports the FTC. But again, like there's money in the pockets of the FTC from these companies. Um, the way that we even got any movement was we just had people complain to their AGs in their states. And Bob Ferguson is incredibly consumer friendly and he saw it and was like this is a problem let's go um and and that's really the only reason we got any movement people complain but there's just not enough just yes it's not enough and you see also washington state which is not to get too much in the particulars because a lot of your, your listeners may not know all the particulars of this but that case was brought by the attorney general of the state of washington using the state of Washington's anti-endless chain or anti-pyramid scheme law. However, right. that law had never before ever been enforced. What? I didn't even know that. It had never been litigated. I know this because they approached me to be expert witness in that case, which I, that didn't happen. But 
I had many discussions with them and I knew that I knew it. Wonderful office. One of the most amazing advocacy things that I've done is working with Bob and his team. Um, Brilliant, wonderful, compassionate, lovely people who every time their name showed up on my phone, I was happy to answer. (laughs) Wonderful people. they, They did tell me that. And this was partly why they were talking to me because what they were saying is, well, we don't, we're, you know, we're, we're trying to decide how to go about this this case. And we've got this statute, but the statute's never been lit- litigated. So we don't really know how well it's going to hold up. And we do know that DSA was involved in the writing of that law too. So if you read their law, you'll see it has some big, big loopholes in it. So, yeah, uh, so that's an example of what I mean is that even where there's a law and even where there's very right-minded people involved, um, the the history of this thing is is and the history has a cause. There's a reason why many of these states have just backed away from it because it creates enormous pressure on them if they dare to, you know, litigate and bring bring the power of the law uh, to bear. And on the other side, they don't get a lot of support. They don't get they don't get a lot of support. When the government acted on cigarette smoking, it was only after so many people had died and, and the sickness was becoming so apparent and the scientific world was saying, this thing has got to stop, you know, look what it's doing. But prior to that, the government was happy to look the other way while people died of cancer, got addicted and so on. They didn't care until the pressure. And I think that's what's beginning to happen. LuLaRoe may be a harbinger uh, you know, of that. That one state, yeah. because uh, you look around, uh, Roberta, you'll see there's been almost no prosecutions. And, and even with LuLaRoe, that's, you know, as they know, they did settle. The company's still going on. But um, LuLaRoe isn't based in Washington state. And based neither am I. <laughs> it's based in California, I believe. Yes, in Corona, why, why California, and Orange why County. Didn't California prosecuted. We well, I mean, we can go back to the Herbalife thing. And talk about why Herbalife wasn't prosecuted in California. <laughs> She's now vice president of the United States. So it's that's just politics. So I think it's it, it's a it's a it's a good place to end here, maybe with 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 this reality. And uh, once people work their way out of the Hall of Mirrors and CMLM, the next question they will always ask is. But then how could this thing have been be allowed? And that does require, and that's why I put that at the end of the book, along with the cult factor too. The cult factor explains also, it reinforces how these deceptions can be done because they are using methods that are very powerful. And, yeah. and, and, and they do constitute for most people a form of brainwashing. And absolutely. So, absolutely. I always refer people to Stephen Hassan's bite model and say, just yeah, read it, just, just read that. it and see if you connect with any of them. Um, yeah. A friend of mine, Josie Nikoi, who has a, a, a YouTube channel called not the good girl. She's an anti-MLM advocate as well. Her and I did a, an episode and broke down the bite model with our own personal experiences. And it was like, okay, we need to move on to the next letter basically. Cause it was, there was just so many different behavioral and emotional control techniques. And I was like, I had no idea that these were cult control tactics. And I experienced them in this quote unquote business opportunity. Yeah. 
Well, the thing about the bite, which is um, they're they're very similar to what we just went through. The, the defi- they are defining characteristics. So you put them all together, and what have you got? You have a cult, not a normal organization. You have a cult, and what is a cult? But a dominating, mind control, defrauding uh, uh, organization, destructive. Do you ever wonder how much of your personal data is out there on the internet just for anyone to find? I promise it's more than you think. Your name, contact info, social security number, home address, even information about your family members. It's all being compiled by data brokers and openly sold online. This can lead to a lot of problems, including identity theft, phishing attempts, harassment, and unwanted spam calls. But now you can protect your privacy with Delete Me. Signing up for the service is super easy. Just provide Delete Me with exactly what information you want deleted, and their experts take it from there. They send you regular, personalized privacy reports showing what info they found, where they found it, and what they removed. I got my report, and I was floored with the results. Of the 105 data brokers they checked, 83 of them had my data. Delete Me then removed 173 listings of my personal data off the internet. And they make sure that it stays off too. Take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me at a special discount just for our listeners. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash MLM and use promo code MLM at checkout. The only way to get the 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash MLM and enter code MLM at checkout. That's joindeleteme.com slash MLM code MLM. Head over to quince.com and grab yourself a little something something and support the show by supporting our sponsors. The weather's getting warmer, so it's time to say goodbye to jackets and sweaters and say hello to lightweight fabrics and classic styles. I have been taking advantage of the beautiful weather and getting outside for daily walks, and I cannot say enough good things about the Flow Knit High Rise Boyfriend Jogger from Quince. Seriously, running errands, doing school pickups, swinging by the farmer's market, or taking Jaja for a stroll around the lake, these bad boys are versatile. I love the deep pockets, the high waistband, and the internal hidden drawstring. They're quick drying, moisture wicking, antimicrobial, and the four-way stretch makes them so comfortable. They're made with 88% recycled polyester, and the Global Style Standard Certified Yarn dramatically lowers environmental impact by diverting landfill and ocean-bound plastic. Not to mention using recycled claim standard-approved dyeing, washing, and manufacturing processes with low water and eco-friendly dyes. They have become an absolute favorite, and you can save up to 59% off the high-end counterpart by shopping with Quince. Throw on a cotton doll scoop neck tee and some sneakers, and you've got a perfect effortless outfit. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash MLM for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash MLM to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash MLM. National Voter Registration Day is kind of a big deal. It's a yearly, nonpartisan holiday celebrating our democracy, and it's all about getting as many people as possible to, that's right, register to vote. So why is that important right now? Well, sure, local and state elections may not get as much attention as the midterms or the presidential elections, but they're still a super important way for you to use your voice to make an impact 
and help shape the future of your community. And one of the best parts, registering to vote is really easy thanks to organizations like Headcount. Get registered there in minutes and you won't have to worry about registration deadlines in your state. And then you'll be ready to participate in all of your upcoming local, state, and federal elections. That really is a big deal. Head to headcount.org forward slash Spotify now to register. That's headcount.org forward slash Spotify. See you at the polls. So it's, it's kind of the same thing. You know, if you do that and you look at those characteristics, you go, yeah, they're all present in, in MLM. And that gives MLM the additional power over people. In addition to all these little trickeries that we went through, the deceptions, the diversions, uh, and so on, but, but they're done in the context of a methodology here where they strip you away from your friends and relatives who might warn you. They introduce you with new language. They mystify the whole process. They exalt this leader into some kind of a godlike figure. They tell you the rest of your life is really crap because you wouldn't be in this room if it was satisfactory. Isn't that right? And so on. So, you know, these are all the ways you are brought into a Scientology cult, into a Mooney cult, or any same exact. So, you know, if you dissect MLM on the, you see, oh my God, it's a cult. If you dissect it in the terms of what are the characteristics, you see, oh my God, it's a pyramid scheme. And that's why I made up the word Ponzi-nomics. Ponzi-nomics. It's a fantastic you know, it's, portmanteau, it's really, fantastic. It's describing a delusional belief system and as an aspect of this belief system is the illusion that a pyramid scheme is a viable method, you know, and then it provides after you adopt that, now it provides you a guide for life with rules and a worldview, but for it to work over a long time, it has to have collusion with government. Yeah, the government fix aspect down, is just uh, yeah. when that breaks down, that then the the end will be, you know, the bell will ring for for the end of multi level marketing. And yeah, and I, I think it's coming. You know, as again, it's coming from the ground up. That's the way it, it will do, with with uh, you know uh, sites like yours, with YouTube channels like yours. And and uh, Josie's and and all the others, you know. Yeah, are, all the YouTube and the podcasts and the Instagrams and the Facebooks. I mean, we are on every single social media platform. We're on Clubhouse now, talking about this stuff and reaching audiences that we never reached before. And being able, especially with your research and um, you know, like uh, John Taylor's research and Stephen Hassan's research and all of these researches from these amazing people that know what they're talking about. That we are given these tools to be able to break down these lies yeah, and to be exposed to, to, to these there. things yeah and that's incredible and that was what what in terms of the book is that I, I i i said you know but there's no book there's there's no book and people that just amazed me that um there should be just a place you could go read about it it's a phenomenon it has a history it had a beginning yes it's a 19, thing yeah it is a definable thing it's a definable thing and it, it has a history and it, and, it, and it has characteristics and so on. Where would you see that? You can't take a college course on it. They don't offer it. So that's why really where, where the, the book was born was that I wanted to try and put, put it all in one place. Of course, there are many aspects of this story that could, that could be many more books uh, on each part of it could be a kind of a book unto itself. 
There could be books involving the, the, the daily experiences of people, but I, I just wanted to, to do it in a way where people say, I want to know, how does it work? Where did it come from? What is it exactly? You know, okay, here's the book, there it is. And if you read that, I think you'll get it. You'll get what it is. And, um, and it's a fantastic resource. It's absolutely, I think it should be required reading in a senior economics class in high school. I think it should be again, required reading in any sort of business or economic um, of major or minor that you go into any sort of higher institutional learning like this book should be required. And I, and I even tell people that come after me or people that are pro MLM or not necessarily anti, or just sort of on the fence to say, read this book, read this book, understand what it is as a thing. And when you're done reading it, come back and let's have a discussion about it mm -hmm. because it is incredibly eye opening. And 95% and of this book, I was like, yes, there was the 5% that was like, what? Um, but I, I seriously was like, yes, this is what I've been saying. I know you and I have had conversations before about this. And it's, it's this, I just, I, it, it gave me so much validity. I was oh, like, yeah. yes. And that, that was my hope was that it, it, like you said, a little bit jokingly, I'm not crazy, you know? And, and it does do that. And that's because I, I do understand that um, when you, when you paint the whole picture, give the, give the reality a substance, um, it can sound like a conspiracy theory. And 100%. You know, the, people, the people that did the podcast, The Dream, uh, at the, at, in the last part of that podcast, that series on multi-level marketing, um, Jane Marie, who was one of the producers of that said, I'm beginning to wonder if the Illuminati, you know, which is supposedly this, this cabal of people that are running the world are, aren't finished. I'm starting to believe in it because it was like MLM was kind of everywhere. And they, they, she realized this, that, you know, it has permeated the Congress. It's in the regulatory agents. It's in the university systems. It's, it's so commonplace. Like even the products are commonplace. Like, like yeah. I, I've never met anybody. I, I have cut coat knives on my counter. I, I, you know, like Mary Kay, I makeup remover, like there's MLM products everywhere that have right. since the day I was born in 81, MLM has been legal my entire life. I have been groomed that this is a totally legal thing and it's mm -hmm. super easy and it's great for people that need a little extra money. It is commonplace. Nobody talks about Scientology or the Moonies that way. No, Nobody's like, oh, they, yeah, you need you right. need some self help. I've got this great group to join. It's called Scientology. Nobody does that. Well, they Yet with multi level to. marketing, it, yes, with multi level marketing, it is so commonplace. Yeah. And again, we talk about how woven into the socio economic and governmental fabric of this country that there's literally no way the regulators are in on it, the feds are in on it, the government is promoting it as legitimate, there's no way to end multi-level marketing, which is one of the things that I came out of your book. I already felt that way, but I felt even more so, which empowered me even more to be like, cool. So we can't get it on the back end. So let's just educate. So people stop joining. Yeah. Because it's but really it honestly, the only way to end these is to get people to stop buying it, supporting it, joining and perpetuating the scam. Well, there is one. There is one more way, and and that Ooh. is the description we just gave about why regulators don't do anything. Power politics, right? 
Well, an element of power politics is popular outrage. See, when people really want something done about it, you know, when they want a vaccine, when they want whatever it is that the public demands, when there's a groundswell, the government will deliver not because they want to, and they may have lobbyists, they they have to do it. So I I do see, uh, and and maybe that's why I say the LuLaRoe, uh, there was pressure brought to bear. Fortunately, you had a, a, you know, a conducive regulator who was open to this, but there was some pressure brought to bear. uh, And there'd been a lot of publicity on LuLaRoe before they acted. The same- We got a lot of publicity. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, the same thing happened with Herbalife. The government would never and ever, ever, ever have brought a case against Herbalife were it not for Bill Ackman and then all the publicity he generated showing how nobody was making money and so on. But he he wasn't able to really build a groundswell of people, but he did create a lot of publicity. So yeah, which then in turn, like the, the documentary, which then led people yes. to like John Oliver and then my documentary and all the other things yes. that are going so it, on. It definitely, you know, it's like an avalanche. It's it begins with a little bit and it builds up and builds up. And that's and that's what I do see happening. So I don't I don't uh, I don't hold that the government is unmovable, but I do think that without the groundswell that will ultimately have to be organized in some way, you know, somebody, some group will lead a movement. It's already out there. It's just kind of spread around the anti-MLM to demand change. And the change will not be, oh, require, you know, uh, disclosure. It will have to be something far greater than that. And that's could come that could come I don't know when yeah I mean that's that's my goal too you know it's in that it's going in that direction at least we can say that you know okay I have uh, a couple questions for you I know that we've been talking forever this has been so informative I feel like I we've only been talking for 10 minutes but we've been talking for almost two hours so incredible incredible resource you're amazing everybody loves you and I I hope everybody gets this book but I do have a couple questions Well, everybody that should love you, loves you. Everybody that is in this movement is like, Robert. I said, you got to talk to Robert. Um, So here's a question. What still hurts or stings uh, every time you come across it in your work? Hmm. Um, I I think it's it's, uh, resignation uh, and, and a certain level of cynicism um, I, I had um, brought to the attention even of people who have been fairly prominent uh, about involvement in researching multi-level marketing, the, the issue of political corruption. And uh, their response was uh, they just didn't want to go there. They didn't want to get into that. Uh, they didn't, they didn't want to be a person who pointed a finger at people in high places like that. It's one thing to point a finger at Amway or Herbalife or, or LuLaRoe or something, but they didn't want to point a finger at Federal Trade Commission, Kamala Harris or John Leibowitz or these people, Bill Clinton, Madeleine Albright, all of them. Have been the on Madeleine the Albright one was the one that I was yeah. like, I'm sorry, what? Yeah. yeah, they don't want to do that. They don't want to do that. And so what they what they did is they they kind of justified it all as, 
well, that's kind of how government works. That's just the way life is. And you can't attribute responsibility to these people uh, on that ground, you know. On the other side, I also do encounter some people, and, and this, I guess, you said, what stings, what hurts. And this isn't really um, sting and hurt in the sense that it is an invalid, uh, to invalidate what I do, but it's a view that this is kind of how business and life now work. You know, uh, win-lose. I got your money, you lost your money, too bad for you. But don't come to me, uh, even though I'm the one that talked you into it. I have no reason. We're all on our own. We're by ourselves. That's how life works. In other words, an adoption of the same kind of moral, uh, cultural values that a faceless corporation would have. And that's kind of the message that MLM promotes, you know, that it's, it's uh, the winners and the losers. If somebody right. loses money, they're a loser. So that stings when I hear that because, and it stings when I hear people that, that, that want to go, they don't want to let go of MLM because it would require to really face the whole thing. They would have to confront the government too. They don't want to do that. They would have to speak in a language they don't want. They don't want to be that person, you know, the, 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 the citizen activist, the protester, the, they don't want to be that person. They, which sort of has a way of feeling, making me feel more isolated, you know, like, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, but so it's very important for me to, to, to get back and hear the real life experiences of people. Cause this is what led me into it. I've been, uh, over these years through pyramid scheme alert. I mean, I've heard stories of divorces, many, many divorces, um, loss of credit, foreclosures, uh, unemployment, people quitting their jobs, dropping out of college or higher education. Spending their uh, kids' education fund because the promise they'll be able to replace it soon. The last one I heard was uh, people from the Philippines, uh, who Philippines being a, a, a low-income co- country, depending to a large extent on all this diaspora of Filipino people living all over the world, working in more developed countries or holding jobs and sending money home. And that big community of Filipinos now I have been hearing are being scammed relentlessly by multi-level marketing and the money doesn't go, go back home. So, uh, you know, you hear, hear that. Of course, in the Herbalife story and the betting on zero, you saw all of these immigrants being scammed too. Military spouses, I've talked to a lot of military spouses, you know, who, uh, facing very difficult economic times with a husband or a wife uh, in deployment and then losing, losing what little bit of they got to a, a that was targeted kind of uh, at, at them. So I've heard of even of suicides, you know, of yeah. people committing suicide with this. So mm-hmm. I have to stay in touch with that against that wall of cynicism and resignation that I see that not only forgives the government for doing nothing, uh, but also adopts the general uh, tone of MLM that life is all about just making money on your friends, family, doesn't matter. Everyone 
you know, every man for himself, kind of uh, survival of the fittest. Uh, uh, and life is only about making money. And if you're not making money, you're a pure loser, you're a nobody. So, you know, th that's what stings for me is that that yeah, struggle. That you know? stigma is still there. Despite yeah. all of your work, despite all of the truth you've exposed, the stigma of failure and being a loser is still there, which is the reason I started this podcast. Mm -hmm. the, the whole reason I said, we're ending this stigma now, like we are, we're, we're ending it. Um, one of the things I loved about your book, uh, was the end where you talked about the message of hope and how you chose to self-publish because these publishing houses were like, no, 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 no. We need like a toxic, positive message at the end of this. And you're like, there isn't one though. There isn't anything that I could say that would give any sort of hope. I loved that. I know you could have gotten probably more money, a bigger deal, more distribution, but you decided to self-publish because the message is more important. Um, again, your ethics are incredible on that. I was like, yes, I think I clapped out loud. It was something that Savvy and I both discussed and thought was so admirable and commendable on you. Um, so in terms of, of you doing that, was there anything that you left out of the book that you thought maybe people weren't ready to hear? And you're like, we just, we got to just leave this little part out. Or do you feel like you really laid all of it out on the table? No, I, I laid all of it out. I didn't, I didn't hold anything back in the way of the reality, as I understand it. You know, as I, I, I know that there is another level to this that I could have maybe gone to that I haven't gone to and haven't gotten there myself about awareness of this. Um, I did try to stay in the language of the way we all perceive multi-level marketing. There are people who describe it in criminal terms and describe the multi-level marketing companies as gangsters and gangs. In fact, one of, uh, one of my earliest, uh, somebody that had, when I was writing my first book, they said to me, oh yeah, MLMs, they're adult gangs. I said, adult gang. It's said, true oh, though, they're, it's they're like the mob. Colors. They prey upon their own community. They engage in illegal activity, calling a pyramid scheme, engaging a look. Uh, they have a, they are a tight knit little group. They have a leader, uh, you know, predat they're predatory. They're adult gangs and they compete with other gangs. They only compete with other gangs, right? You know, so New Skin competes with Herbalife and Herbalife competes with Amway. So they're all, and yet right, they all, they're all collect, competing they all, against each other collaborate to to make sure that the police stay away from their from their activity so, um i didn't go there because i didn't think that that language resonates with very many people so i tried to stay in the language that um, i thought people understood i don't think that's holding anything back but um you know it could be written in, in different different ways but i thought i did in a way i i did stay in that language in order for more people to read it, you know? So yeah, they're, they're and more, I agree. I think that using yeah. a more general language, uh, it, is, it is easier for the majority of people to understand and be able to consume it, and yeah. go, oh, yeah. I understand, well, like, I that, relate to this. Yeah, as far as the, the facts, uh, I didn't. I also did not in the book, there's a disclaimer at the beginning, assert, and this is for legal purposes, uh, that any particular MLM company is a criminal enterprise breaking any particular law. So that's, uh, you know, I, I wanted to say that in order to let people figure that part out for themselves. So uh, as I say, calling something illegal 
when the, when the law is not enforced is irrelevant anyway. So I didn't want to focus on, I have people saying, is it legal? Is it illegal? First of all, I'm not a judge. I'm, I'm not a regulator. And uh, it, it's really, that's not the significant issue. In fact, I've had people ask me, actually contact me about, they've been approached by an MLM company. It sounded too good to be true. And, but their first question was, is this legal? <laughs> and I often asked them, I said, how many things in life are you engaged in now where you have to wonder whether it's legal or not? You know? <laughs> it's and an excellent point that I've never even thought of like that. that. be a red flag right away? I mean, somebody... Robert, of course not. Pyramid schemes are illegal, hun. Yeah. <laughs> yes. But the very thought that they're having to even engage in that question ought to be a big red flag that, you know, why would there be a controversy about this legality if there weren't something there? So, um, but uh, no, I didn't, hold, I didn't hold, I don't think I held anything back uh, from people. And as you saw, some people find some of it a little hard to digest, the part about the, the politics of it. Or, or even the cults side of it, and, and even the history. I mean, there's all, all of it is a little bit seemingly fantastical in a way. In yeah, community. anytime I post anything political, uh, and I, I come after all of them because I'm an anti-MLM advocate, so I don't care if you're a Republican or a Democrat or an Independent or Green Party. If you're in cahoots with the DSA and multi-level marketing companies, I'm going to call you out. So um, I remember posting stuff about Donald Trump and losing followers, and I was like, wait a second, tomorrow I'm going to be talking about Kamala, so don't worry, and then posting about her and then losing followers. And um, it's just, it's to me, when people say, I don't understand why you're bringing politics in this, it's not political. I'm like, you are so off base. Yeah. Um, I, you know, you mentioned in your book that, that uh, multi-level marketing is right up there in the big institution, institutions of power, like big tobacco and, and, and big pharma, Hollywood, military industrial complex. I now call um, MLM's big pyramid. That's what I call big it. Yeah. I say big, big pyramid. pyramid and people are yeah, like, Oh, that's funny. It's, pyramid, and I said, pyramid it's lobby. true. Yeah. It's absolutely it's true lobby. though. It's a lobby. Uh, yes. If you had the gun lobby, it's to make, make, uh, you know, right to own guns, prevent restrictions on guns, have more types of guns, have more types of ammunition available and, and marketable in multi-level marketing. The, the lobby has only one real goal and that is to, to ensure that laws against pyramid schemes Maintain are not legality. On yeah. the government side, in reality, that's their only role. They have nothing else really to do. People re get recruited not by the DSA; they get recruited by their friends and family. You know, and if you, again, when you're engaging in trust, you're you're going to somebody that knows and trusts you, loves you. Even uh, they they certainly would not want you, you would not want them to think you're luring them into something illegal. Uh, right. So, yeah. so the, the DSA's big job is to make sure that it is never illegal. Now, again, you say, why, why would you have to lobby for that? <laughs> right. you know, why, why would you lobby? Why do we need millions of dollars a year to continue to prove that this is not illegal? Yeah, like, yeah exactly. Yeah. It's culty, super yeah. culty. Um, the last question I have is, um, if you had an audience with creators and advocates, like I have heard a little something and I totally went in on it. Um, but um, if you were to have that audience uh, of people who are more versed on this topic, 
um, what would you want to speak to them about? Um, I, I would say um, to work together, perhaps, um, well, two things, I guess I would say. Um, and the, the first one is not, uh, is not an admonition. It's out of my own life experience that I would be saying this is uh, stay focused on the main target and don't get caught up in fights among, among yourselves or uh, villainizing, vilifying uh, people that either get it wrong, you know, don't get it quite, uh, or even people that betray you that were from your group. Because that's going to happen. Yeah. It, it does. And it already, it, it has, it's, there's some drama in the community right now. Um, yeah. I don't follow it because I believe it's a complete distraction. Um, but it's not the first time in my three and a half years that I've seen this sort of drama and it won't be the last time. And I completely yeah. agree with you. Yeah. Ignore it. So that, I mean, this would be applicable to any consumer uh, grassroots movement of any kind, civil rights, what, whatever, if, uh, if, uh, me too movement, black lives matter, gun rights movement, well, it doesn't really matter, you know, whatever the cause is, the, the uh, staying focused on the, on the main prize and avoiding, even when it's fully justifiable to you, avoiding uh, the, the, the conflict, the back and forth internally. That would be one. Yeah. That, that, that's one. The second thing, I guess, would be to work together on some of the uh, issues that you, you've brought up here about adopting some better language for describing multi-level. A, a cult um, uh, and a flim flam always uh, surround themselves and engage in the manipulation of language. And that's why I brought in George Orwell into the book. Yes, 1984 times. with double speak. yeah. Because yeah. yeah. George Orwell, was so clearly uh, ex explained this of the, the purpose of, of, a, of a dictatorship or an authoritarian regime is to control your mind. And to control your mind, the first step is control the words, the language used. And, and we have this in marketing, PR are all about driving language and terms you know, into our minds to where we can't really see the thing for what it is because we've been given different words. And, um, and it is, so MLMs are authoritarian and, and they try to control the language. And the, the language they use are you know, free enterprise, income opportunity, direct selling, rewards, commissions, sales. It's the classic language uh, they talk about levels and management. They use these phony terms calling people executive manager. Giving people manager. promotions. They give them promotions, yeah. And things like this, they call, call, the, call it rewards. And um, so developing some language on their own, uh, that is, that, and that's not an easy thing to do, but, but uh, the people you're talking about are really right now the most important communicators of this subject, not CNBC, not Wall Street Journal, not NBC, not Fox News. None of them are, they're dead silent. They're incompetent. They don't know what's going on. There are some, there is some elf effort. The BBC is, is, doing, is doing some great work on pyramid schemes and multi-level marketing now. 
and uh, documentaries, you, you're, you're gonna be in one. Um, but day to day, it's people like you, it's these content producers here online with the videos that are really driving this thing and are creating the language and the, and the, and the tone, maintaining the, the, the proper you know, direction. So creating some language, more and more language for how to describe and, and confronting the language too, confronting the language, which, which you're doing. But I would say that's, that's very important to push. Eventually, eventually, I would love to see this, which is, as I said, all new in a way over the last four or five years, even less. I would love to see this coalesce into an actual consumer organization. Right now, no consumer organizations uh, tackle this. So they run away from it. Some of them are in bed with the DSA and some of them just avoid it because they don't want to bring the wrath of the DSA against them and so on. So um, I think it's coming, a civil rights movement for the, for the MLM world and ain't like there was an anti-tobacco and so on. You know, that this, this was opioids. It is a kind of right. drug, a financial drug that has been right. destructively brought into the marketplace here presented kind of like a medicine almost for right medicine. i mean those are even two huge things like big tobacco and 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 lung cancer and then big pharma and the opioid crisis and then yeah. big pyramid and the swindle yeah 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 the, and the, the sad thing you know each one of these things addresses real needs that people have mlm has a particular um advantage in in its viral spread because Wages are flat. People are working two, three jobs. Students are coming out of school with years of debt on their shoulders, right? And uh, women are, are actually losing ground during this COVID uh, uh, epidemic, you know, economically losing, losing ground. Um, immigrants have been sort of forced underground. So they're, they're struggling to survive. And you just, keep adding the list, the, the list of elderly people, older people bankrupted by medical bills now. So each one of them, MLM is saying, we can construct our message just as they did with the COVID. Oh, you're quarantined at home. We have a home-based business. And so uh, yeah. like, oh, God. you're fearful of a virus. We have something to boost your We have your some boost. oils you can stick in your nose. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, it has a lot of advantages like that, but so clearly there is a need for yes. a, an, a consumer. And a cohesive message is what I always constantly am preaching. Language that would have staff, that would have insurance, that would have its lawyers and, you know, that's coming. I think that's coming, but uh, I think it not, is too. Maybe not in my era, but uh, maybe who knows? So you know, those are, those are the things that I guess I would say is uh, the, the avoidance of the internal con conflicts, which takes a certain discipline. Uh, and the second is the, the adoption of some common new language to replace this business gibberish that they use to uh, disguise, disguise this racket that we call multi-level marketing. And, right. and I can hear that. Yeah. Well, thank you for, for this. Yeah. Oh, yeah thank you. Talk.
Thank you. Uh, you are seriously one of my mentors in this, in this fight. Um, I constantly reference your work and, and John Taylor's work. Um, you laid the foundation for this. You know, I, I know you didn't see as much movement when you laid the foundation, but um, I do want to tell you that your work has inspired thousands of people. Um, and we continue to, to preach what you're preaching because it is true and it is quantifiable and it is easily proven. If you have the time, like, like Savvy said, your end notes are thicker than her ass. And if you guys want to get this book and you guys want to look at these end notes, I mean, honestly, just look at the end notes. You don't even have to read the book, just read all of his sources and come to the exact same conclusion. It's, it is seriously one of the best books I've read. I'm going to say it's my favorite book of 2021. Um, I know we're only in March and it's the only book I've read, but I don't think that, uh, <laughs> that anything's going to beat it in terms of, in terms of education on this, um, fantastic resource you yeah. and it's not like I, as i said i it's not like i went in the library for you know six months this it's a that research was done over a long period of time it was sort of gathered and the other thing about everything in the book there's nothing original in there right you know, there's nothing that hasn't already been found by somebody else that's right it's all right. in the public domain i stand on the shoulders of other people or along with a and lot same of me too I as well try to acknowledge most of them as, as I went along, including people in government. It's just that many of these people have been eliminated or suppressed in government who wanted to do something. I've talked to people in government who detest this thing, who abhor it, who would love to see something done and, and are powerless to do anything about yeah, it. Yeah, so unfortunately. I there are, there are always good eggs among yeah, those bad eggs. Yeah, yeah. But I think uh, when, we got to get the bad the public, eggs out, though. Uh, demands that you'll see the better people step forward. Yeah, uh, just the ethics. Uh, there's just no ethics in this. And I think that's probably one of the things that bothers me the most. It's just people making very bad decisions that don't affect them negatively in any way. I sure buy all that extra stuff. That's $500 for me. Like, you know, it, it's very insidious and it's, it's but, uh, horrible. You know, one thing, I, I did have a conversation uh, just recently with um, a friend, and we were speaking about multi-level marketing in the context of many other issues facing us as humans, global warming, COVID, all kinds of other things to demand people's. But in the area of fraud, for example, I said, historically, fraud was something that you encountered out in the marketplace. You, you speculated on some stock, you needed a loan, uh, you wanted to buy some land or you're looking for some special deal on something and you encounter fraud. And it was, you could go most much of your life without encountering it actually, because it was kind of out there in, on the fringes of, of the world. Multi-level marketing brought fraud into the home. Right. I was going to say multi-level marketing knocks on the door and you let them in. Yeah, It, it invaded the spaces that used to be safe, safe. The, yes. The family, the friendships, you didn't worry about your friend trying to scam you. I mean, the whole idea is, it's just contradictory. You didn't think about if it happened in a family, it would be very disruptive and very rather rare. Somebody borrowed money, an inheritance situation, caretaking situations, they do happen. But they were always regarded as odd and unusual and, and, uh, and 
sad. Multi-level marketing changed all that. And now- Yeah, and in 40 years, it took it from a scam with Walter Mondale being like, hey, we need legislation on this. It's a scam to it's a totally normal thing. And it's Uh, completely like applauded by the very industry and the very governmental regulatory agencies that are supposed to protect us. Yeah. These scams are applauded by these people. That's right. So, and, but at the social level, at the street level, where we all live, it, it, it invaded our space and it, it brought scams into the churches. It brought scams into the households, workplace and so on. And, and, um, you know, that to me has always made it seem more significant than other types of scam. I mean, you can go to Wall Street, you get scammed left and right, but you don't have to go to Wall Street, but you can't stay, you, you can't avoid MLM. It's going to come in your daily life. I don't care. You could say, oh, I'm not interested in that. Somebody where you work, maybe, and they'll start recruiting or somebody at your church or, you know, in your neighborhood. It, it has the strangest way of, of insinuating itself into that. So, um, you know, I, I think when this kind of language is developed and, we, and, and the social evil of this thing, as cigarette smoking eventually started out, it's going to harm you. Then it became, and it'll affect any, even somebody that breathes your, your secondhand smoke. Then it was children. You're advertising to children and so on. Uh, so... MLMs also advertise to children. They're yeah. doing that now too. Oh, it's really, well, really insidious. Again, thank you for the opportunity to talk about the book. And I'm sure hopefully we'll have ongoing conversations. Yes, yes, yes. Talk. I would love to have you on anytime we have discussions. You are an expert and a valued resource. And I appreciate you taking your morning um, and spending it with me. And um, thank, thank you. you so much, Robert. Really just an incredible conversation. Just thank you. Good. Thank you too. Thank you so much for listening to Life After MLM. Please don't forget to like and subscribe and share with all of your anti-MLM friends as well. See you next time.